All right, welcome everyone to He's Done It, a mostly sports podcast. I'm Corey Novotny, and I'm joined today by Benjamin Carlson and Brian Wells. Our main topic for today is Major League Baseball, as the 2019 season is officially underway. The three of us will break down each division and give some of our predictions for what we expect to happen the rest of the way. In the quick hitter segment, we'll catch up on March Madness as the Final Four is set to tip off this weekend. We'll talk about some of the action from the first two weekends and preview the remaining games in Minneapolis featuring Michigan State, Texas Tech, Virginia, and Auburn. Later in the episode, we use Embrace Debate to discuss LeBron James's disappointing first season with the Los Angeles Lakers and give a Premier League update on the battles for league position as we enter the final weeks of the season in Aloha Hecho. And in honor of the anniversary of Will Keith Kellogg's birthday, the three of us count down our favorite cereals in today's top five. baseball and we know that the season started already we were intending to record an episode last week we have lives outside of uh just the podcast uh, including work responsibilities things things came up unfortunately we weren't able to record one but it's a 162 game season i think we can get away with doing our baseball preview after five games were played and uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll be okay uh, so let's start things out by talking about the American League East because Brian and I are Red Sox fans and the Red Sox are defending World Series champions and because they're the first division in most standings that you will see. So the Red Sox and the Yankees both won 100 games last season, both made the playoffs. The Sox won 108 games, won the division, ousted the Yankees in the divisional series. Entering the season, both of these teams are expected to be good, though you could say the Red Sox didn't really do much to get better, and the Yankees did make some moves. So, Brian, do you think that the Yankees have caught the Red Sox? No, I mean, I still think that um, I think that's going to be between these two. I mean, I know the Rays are in first place right now uh, in, the, in the division, but I still think the Red Sox and Yankees will be at the top. And I think the Yankees can catch up to the Red Sox and win the division this year if one uh, if Aaron Judge stays healthy all year and does not get injured uh, in July or August, and if their starting rotation ends up being better than the Red Sox because the Red Sox have not gotten off to a good start, well, one in general, but in two in terms of their starting rotation, and I'm not really concerned that much about the Red Sox' bad start so far, um, just because there's 162 games. It's six games into the season. Like I don't care if they go 6-0, and 0-6, doesn't matter to me. Uh, they easily still... could be 0 and 6. They're yeah, they really could be. Yeah, uh, I think they're they still have one of the best offenses in baseball. They still have one of the worst bullpens in baseball too. Uh, but the one concern I have is Chris Sale. Uh, his first start this year was not good versus Seattle. His second start yesterday was pretty good against Oakland. He only gave up one run, but he also only had one strikeout 
and the velocity on his fastball was really not that good at all, which is I thought was which I think is very concerning given the fact that they just signed him to a five year, hundred fifty million dollar contract, and two games into the season or two starts into the season for Chris Sale, he's already showing signs of breaking down, and it's not even it's not even May yet, so. That would be my one concern heading into this year for the Red Sox. So health is going to be a problem for any team. Every team's going to deal with injuries throughout the season. And I think that health is going to be a major factor between these two teams and what's ultimately going to separate them. And right now the Red Sox, yeah, Chris Sale has, has looked like he's struggling. He has some injury concerns. But the Yankees, they have so many guys who are already hurt. Uh Didier Goris, we knew coming in this season, won't be available until around the All-Star break. Luis Severino, he got hurt, and now he might not even be able to pitch in April. And now Miguel Andujar is injured, and he could be out for the entire season with a torn labrum. So you throw in some of the other guys that they've been dealing with. There's talks of having to play Greg Bird, who can barely play first base at third. And I, I do think that there's there's some reason that the Yankees could fall behind early on, except they do have uh, one of the easiest schedules in baseball. So I think they'll overcome it enough. And then once you remove health from the equation, it's going to come down to the Red Sox bullpen. And the Yankees have one of the best bullpens in the league. So I... I have to give New York a slight edge from that, but if they're going to deal with injuries all season, then the Red Sox could easily sneak their way into winning this division again because I think both of these teams are winning 95-plus games again this season. So you said they had one of the easiest schedules in the league. How is that possible? Shouldn't everybody play each other? They play so many games. So in April, the Yankees, they play like the Orioles, the Tigers, the Royals, the Blue Jays, and like... 25 or something of their their first 35 games those are all teams who aren't really trying to win so when i'm saying they're easy to schedule i mean the easiest out of the gates everyone else is going to have to play each other eventually but i'm just in terms of who they have to face early on that being said they lost two out of three to baltimore at yankee stadium so so far it hasn't necessarily translated into wins for the yankees you think playing 162 games in baseball you'd play every single opponent like in the nhl and the nba but no they they don't play the exact same schedule as every other team no no but every team in the divisions they face the same national league teams okay but one thing you did mention the rays earlier i do think that the rays are a sleeper candidate in this division if things don't go right for one or either of those teams uh, I like them personally to be the second wild card with whoever of Boston, New York doesn't win the division gets the first. But I, I do think it's really going to come down to these teams at the end. I'm going to say the Yankees get 98 wins and the Red Sox get 96, 97. It'll come down to that final weekend. But I, I do think that there's so much that can change really in these next few weeks as we see what happens with the Yankees injuries. And if the Red Sox starters can really turn things around after a bad start. So I agree with you that the wildcard teams will both come out of the AL East as our predictions, uh, one of them being the Rays. And I'll say the Yankees are the other wildcard team, and I'll say the Red Sox still win the division. Uh, even though the Yankees have the best bull, arguably the best bullpen in baseball and the Red Sox arguably have the worst, I still think the Red Sox have the edge uh, everywhere else, even starting pitching, even though it's been abysmal so far. I was waiting for you to say the Orioles would be one of the three teams. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> uh, no. So 
I actually do have a bold prediction, kind of bold prediction uh, about Baltimore. So they're over under entering the season. I saw in uh, most sports books was 59 and a half. My bold prediction is the Orioles win 60 plus games this season. I don't know if they're going to get to 70, but I think that they're going to hit the over with that. And they only won 47 games last year, but a lot of stuff had to go wrong for them to win that few games. I, I don't think it's going to be that bad for them again this year. I'll say slightly more than 47, but I'm not going that much higher. Their best player, they're arguably their only good player, uh, Chris Davis. He went he went 192 for 470 last year in his uh, in his plate appearances last he year. He had one and, of the worst seasons and, in Major League Baseball history. Or not one? I think not one. Not 192 for 470. I think it was he struck out 192 times out of 470 at bats, which uh, I think is 40 <laughs> yeah. percent of the at bats he struck out, which is ridiculous. He can't be that bad again. He, he, are you kidding? <laughs> he's no. he's struck it out at least at least two hundred times. Like what? Past five of the past seven years, he's terrible. I, he's, no, gonna, I, he's gonna hit home runs this year, Alex Cobb. And he'll and he'll bat one sixty eight probably with the, with thirty plus home runs and seventy RBIs or something stupid. He, I think he's hitting at least two thirty. But all right, let's move on to the AL Central and. The Indians had a lot of question marks in the offseason, whether or not they were going to try to trade some of their their starters like Corey Kluber or Trevor Bauer to shed payroll and try to load up on some prospects to build for the future. Didn't end up happening. They got involved in some minor moves, but the Indians are more or less trotting out the same core that they did last year, albeit with some injury concerns. Jason Kipnis, Francisco Lindor out early to start the season. Jose Ramirez had a bit of an injury scare at the end of spring training. But for me, I still don't think any team in this division is going to catch Cleveland. Minnesota is the only one who can maybe put up a fight, but I like the Indians to more or less run away with this division uh, for the fourth year in a row now this this division in my opinion is the worst division in baseball i think outside of outside of cleveland i don't think any of the teams any of the four teams have a chance i i guess i'd agree with you that the twins maybe have the best chance out of the other four but uh even though cleveland is the best team in that division i don't think that's saying much because i don't really understand what their plan is uh trading edwin encarnacion and then bringing back carlos santana and then Francisco Lindor, he'll he'll be back later this season, but you know, as their best as his their best player uh, injured, it's definitely not an ideal situation. And I still like their rotation with Kluber uh, leading it, but I mean, I you see them like winning ninety. Rotation. I see, yeah, I see them winning ninety games, but I don't see them doing anything more against Houston, New York, or Boston. Corey Kluber, Trevor Bauer, Carlos Carrasco, Mike Clevenger, Clevenger Shane right. Bieber. Mm-hmm. To me, that's that's the that's best a great rotation, rotation in baseball. Yeah. I think it's the best in baseball. I think the Indians are going to win somewhere in the 95-ish range. And I think they could really surprise some teams as we, we uh, enter the postseason. If they, but, if they make a deep run, I think a lot of it will be because of how weak their division is and they can rest uh, their mm-hmm. starters, starting rotation a little bit more, or their... St- their starters in general so yeah last last year that didn't necessarily work out for them as houston made quick work of them right uh but i i do really like cleveland to to keep up the winning ways i'm gonna say the twins finish 500 they're in the postseason race but i i don't like them to make the wild card and i don't think any of 
Chicago, Detroit, and Kansas City even gets to 70 wins. Last year, Detroit won nine, had 98 losses and finished in third. I don't know if it'll necessarily be that bad, but uh, I I don't think any of them are going to have a notable improvement. I, I can't even make a case for any of the four teams. Look at the Royals. They lose Salvador Perez. All they have is speed on the, on the bases with Billy Hamilton and Whit Merrifield. And then the Tigers are still stuck with Miguel Cabrera's contract. So if Cabrera turns things around even the slightest and has a healthy season, then I could see the Tigers making a little bit of noise. But that's that's their biggest key. They did bring in some veterans, but I, I don't know. If, uh, I was Josh le- Anderson- if, if I was leading that team as like a GM, I would do whatever I can to trade Fulmer or Castellanos and try to get all the prospects I can get and build for 2022 or 23 you'd clean up dave drombowski's mess yeah (laughs) good point yeah yeah and hope hope the red sox don't turn into that in a few years right right and then uh with the white sox they're still a young team that can't really i don't think they can really compete yet um yoan mikata is still developing so is michael kopech and and then yeah the twins they probably have the best chance out of anyone in that division now to beat Cleveland, uh, adding uh, Jonathan Scope and then Nelson Cruz and still having uh, Eddie Rosario as well in their lineup. So, I mean, I think they can win probably 80 games, go 500, but I don't see him uh, catching up to Cleveland. Eloy Jimenez having a, a monster rookie season would help the White Sox, but their their chances of contention were by bringing in one of the star free agents of the summer and they, they were unable to land anybody. Mm-hmm. All right, and then last American League division, the AL West. So last season, the A's won 97 games. The Angels have Mike Trout. They made a lot of moves in the offseason, spent a lot of money. But is there any scenario you can see that Houston doesn't win this division, doesn't win 100 games? I mean, if Seattle keeps this uh, streak up, have they have they begun the season? Maybe them, but I don't know how long that will last. I think Houston is still the uh, by far and away the best team. They'll probably win at least 95, likely 100 games this year. They still have Verlander and Garrett Cole leading their starting rotation. And then uh, as bad as Osuna did in the playoffs last year, he's still one of the best closers in baseball, I think. And then they added Michael Brantley uh, to their line. Brantley was a huge signing for them. Right, exactly. So I still think they're by far and away the be- the best team in that division. Yeah, I won't even say by far and away the best team in the division. I think they're going to finish with the best record in baseball, 105 mm. wins. I will actually, I'll uh, agree with you as the best record. I don't know what exactly it'll be, 105, 110 whatever. Uh, but I, do yeah, I don't know if they'll get to the I, th- I think I think Boston the Red Sox got, but... I think the Red Sox, Yankees and Rays are going to uh, fight with each- fight with each other mm-hmm. too much in that division. And Cleveland I don't think is even though they're going up to win their division in the Central I don't think they can win 100 games, but Houston, yeah, they're still loaded. Yep. So from there, Oakland, they won 97 games last year. They had arguably the best bullpen in baseball last year. I don't know if they're going to be able to keep that up. They still have Chris Davis mashing home runs. They have Matt Chapman, who who is uh, arguably the best defensive third baseman in baseball while also being a phenomenal hitter. But it just seems super unlikely that Oakland's going to be able to to string together the kind of second half that they did last season to make the playoffs so they get off to a slow start again. And I think they'll be a playoff contender. I think the Angels will also be a playoff contender. I like that they addressed 
uh, some of their big needs by getting Trevor Cahill, Matt Harvey, Jonathan Lucroy's catcher. They brought in Cody Allen to address the bullpen. Justin Bohr probably supplanting Albert Pujols at first base. But I still think that that that's not enough. The, their their rotation is not the greatest either. No, I, I think no, their even their best pitcher is uh, Tyler Skaggs, who's really not that great. Trevor Cahill was their opening day starter, but yeah, Tyler Skaggs in terms of returning guys. So I I think that both Oakland and LA finished maybe just above 500 in that 81 to 87 win range, but I don't think that'll be enough to get them in the playoffs in the American League. Because last year Seattle won 89 games, and that wasn't nearly enough. And they decided to trade five of their six best players in the offseason. Yet there are a lot of people who think that the Mariners could still be somewhat of a sleeper contender. They did do well against Boston in the opening series, but I don't think the Mariners win more than 75 games when it's all said and done. And it's pretty unfortunate because they haven't made the playoffs since 2001, and it would be cool to see them you know, finally break through. And it felt like they've, they've been close in recent years, and they're just starting over now. This is just like the AL Central. I can't make a case for the other four teams uh, winning that division. And uh, I mean, the the closest one last year was the A's, and they had they basically overachieved mm-hmm. the entire season. The Angels, it's based in my opinion. I think it's just Trout that's really leading that team with some other good players. Uh, the Mares have been off to a hot hot start, but I agree. I don't think they're going to be as they're basically just going to be a 500 team, I think. And then the Rangers are they're going to finish last. I don't know what what sort of plan they have this year. Yeah, I agree. The Rangers seem like the easy pick to finish in 5th in this division. So, uh, let's move on to the National League. Now, hold on. With- hold on just oh. a minute there. Okay. Uh, because I'm sure our listeners have noticed I haven't said anything in a while. Um, yeah, I-, I was wondering when you chime in. Well, I'm not that informed on the MLB. I didn't grow up in an MLB household, and it wasn't super popular with me and my friends growing up. So I went to MLB.com in preparation for this episode to do some research, because what better website to get that information from than the official website of the league? This is actually, when I was first getting into the NFL, I definitely spent a lot of time on NFL.com, like daily. I would go on there and be like, ooh, what are the headlines today? You know, ooh, they're talking about the Niners, you know? And I saw some actually pretty interesting articles on there. Uh, For instance, there's this one, uh, Braves and Cubs fans come together to build an impressive pyramid of beer cans during the ninth inning of the Braves 8-0 oh. win over the Cubs on Monday night. I saw that. that <laughs> Wait, you, so that's not just a clickbait thing? Like, they actually, that was known, people, like, saw this happen? I didn't see that, but... <laughs> I, I saw it. It was incredible. It fell down, though. Uh, yeah, they said they, they still got amazing. 44 of the 45 in this base nine pyramid, uh, but the, it fell down. But they said it was good to see uh, some drama in this otherwise drama-less game. <laughs> nice. Um, I also saw that the Albuquerque Isotopes put cotton candy on a burger, and no one is safe. That was the name of the—the the, the, the name of the article is—the out the, the headline of the article is, the Albuquerque— Kirky isotopes put cotton candy on a burger and no one is safe okay and let me tell you i read the entirety of this article which is about two paragraphs nowhere in there did they mention anyone's safety whatsoever so i'm left to wonder why no one not even me is safe from this from this cotton candy burger it's called the tumbleweed burger and it's a uh, green chill 
chile bun with a grilled angus burger ghost pepper cheese and a large poof of red chili cotton candy so it's I assume that it has some sort of spice to it. Uh, I don't know how good a really sweet poof of cotton candy would go with your burger. And last meaningless non-baseball article that I read. Wait, so wait, one one thing I want to say about the Albuquerque isotopes that I think you'll find interesting. Okay. So they're the AAA affiliate of the Los Angeles Dodgers. And any idea how they got their name, the isotopes? It has something to do with science, right? No, it was actually from a 1990s Simpsons episode where the Springfield isotopes, and that's where they came up with it. That's awesome. I forgot that. Yeah, because yeah, Springfield's all about their nuclear energy. <laughs> yep. um, ben has a new favorite baseball team. Well, wait, I thought that the uh, Oklahoma City Dodgers were the affiliate of the LA Dodgers. They might be double A. Oh, right. That's right. There's like a whole bunch of levels to it. Um, yeah. Because... Although, now that you say that, I did think that Oklahoma City was AAA, so it might be... Hmm. I know that... I don't know. Somehow, they're, they are an affiliate of them. Okay, because I know my man Yasiel Puig has hit a couple of homers in the uh, Dodger Stadium here in OKC. I looked it up. Uh, he was, like, okay. injured or something, so he came here for a, a few games, like four games or something. But he hit a couple of dingers over that wall into Bricktown. Uh, yeah, last nice. one, of course... Obviously, I'm a huge football fan, so I'm looking for football even when I'm literally going to the baseball website. And they showed a article about Tom Brady. They said it's watch a young Tom Brady hit a home run at Fenway Park in 2003. So I remember that too. You remember yeah. that? Okay. Yeah. So these are these are more notable than I expected because uh, <laughs> I went on here to read about baseball and ended up reading about a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, I think he hit it around pesky pole, and he's a lefty too nice yeah another another thing to mention uh so ben you know how you're a dallas keichel fan oh big time and he and he used to and maybe he'll be back but he was with the astros organization uh you've talked about the cotton candy burger at albuquerque right yeah, yeah. i don't know if houston still has this but houston the houston astros uh concession stand at one point had this chicken waffle cone where so it's a waffle cone with chicken strips uh mashed potatoes and honey mustard and it looks like kevin does it have does it have a name i i if if it does i forgot it's called my new goal just just look up just look up houston astros chicken waffle cone that sounds that sounds delicious one of my favorite things about baseball and it's it's a big part of why i don't watch it on tv all that much is because i prefer to go in person like you can get a similar feel obviously it's not the same thing but you can get a similar feel from going to these minor league games and just grabbing a couple of beers having a few wieners and just watching it watching the game it's great and you get to sit to- down the whole time Going to a game is so much more fun than watching on TV. Yeah, it's an event, and anybody can go. You know, you don't have to have, like, a really deep knowledge of baseball. So, anyways, I'll let you guys get to the... This is the most exciting baseball conversation I've had in <laughs> forever, so I don't care if we talked about this the entire segment. Well, I, I don't want the National <laughs> League to feel left out, so I'll let you guys continue, but... Um, that's what I discovered on MLB.com. You know, maybe I'll add that one to my favorites bar, spend a little bit more time looking at the MLB. All right. Oh yeah. So let, let's let's move on to the National League now. Yeah. Let's not get off too off the rails. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's start off with the NL East. So, in you know, no disrespect to the Miami Marlins, but this is a four team division. But any of those four teams 
can reasonably make the playoffs. That was the first thing I was going to say about this division. We've talked about the AL Central and the West where there's only one team that has a real shot. The first thing I was going to say about the NL East is that the Marlins are, they might finish with the worst record, even worse than Baltimore. But outside of them, uh, the the other four teams, I think, have a legit shot of winning the, the division. Yeah, I th- this is so difficult to predict. So I guess going in reverse order of last year's standings, you had the Atlanta Braves win the division. A lot of people felt like they were a year too early. They had a young star in Ronald Acuna who just got a big payday. And there's just a lot of excitement with that Braves team. Added Josh Donaldson in the offseason. They have a pretty solid rotation. Some thoughts about whether they can maybe address their bullpen by signing Craig Kimbrell at one point, bringing him back to the organization he came up with. But there's plenty of reasons to believe Atlanta should still be the top of the division, right? Well, when you look down at the other teams, you had the Philadelphia Phillies went out and they added so many guys to their lineup, uh, trading for Gene Segura, JT Realmuto, signing Andrew McCutcheon, and of course, signing Bryce Harper, the biggest prize of this offseason. They also added David Robertson to their bullpen. And then the Washington Nationals, they lost Harper, but they still have Max Scherzer. They still have Steven Strasburg, and they added Patrick Corbin. Juan Soto could pick up from where Bryce Harper left off and challenge him as the uh, the youngest and MV- unanimous MVP in baseball history. And the New York Mets, they're a team that hasn't really done a whole lot since making the World Series in 2015. Uh, a little bit of disappointment, but they went on and made some moves. They traded for Robinson Cano. They traded for Edwin Diaz. They signed Wilson Ramos, addressing their catcher position. They also added Jed Lowry. So all these teams did a lot in the offseason to make themselves better. And I could see any one of these teams winning 95 games, winning the division, and you know maybe getting one of the two wildcard spots. But I do agree that all four of these teams have a shot of winning the division. Uh, if I had to pick, I like the Phillies and Nationals a little bit more than the Braves and the Mets. The, Bra- I'll agree the with Braves, that. I I like Freddie Freeman, and I like uh, where they're going, but I don't love how Dansby Swanson has. Uh, been throughout his career so far as the number one pick just a few years ago the past couple years he's he hasn't really developed into that true number one pick uh everyday shortstop he's still no he's been a huge he's been a bit of a disappointment i I was surprised when uh, i think it was arizona that drafted them and traded him to atlanta i was a little surprised when they made that deal but now looking at what he's done so far in his career maybe it wasn't uh, such a bad trade after all the Mets, uh, they re-signed or they extended Degrom to a long, uh, long-term deal, and they got Cano from the Mariners. Uh, but I still don't love their chances versus uh, Washington or Philly. Uh, I think it's going to come down to one of those two teams. If I had to pick, I would probably say the Phillies, just because they got Harper from Washington. But I think I still think Washington has a legit shot of. Not only maybe winning division, but probably be probably being a wild card team uh, with Juan Soto in their lineup and Victor Robles and Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg are still uh, ter- two terrific uh, starters in their rotation, uh, and as well as adding Patrick Corbin and I th- and and also don't forget uh, Rendon as well, and I think he's another good part of their lineup too. So I think all four of these teams finish above five hundred. Atlanta and New York, I agree. They're going to be third, fourth. They're going to be more in the 85 win range. Mm -hmm. 
and it's going to come down to Washington and Philly. I'm taking the Nationals to win the division. I think Juan Soto wins MVP. Max Scherzer, I like him to win the NL Cy Young, and the Nationals are going to win 95, 97 games, and they're going to be first place in this division. The Phillies will get a wild card spot. It's been a while since they've been back to the playoffs, and we could end up seeing these teams face each other quite a bit down the stretch and battling it out maybe even in the playoffs but I I do think that both of those teams that you said get in but I'm I'm giving Washington the division title did you guys see Bryce Harper's bat flip against his former team I did see that too I saw him hit a huge home run I didn't see the bat flip well I saw the the bat flip popped up on my Twitter timeline it was like the most disrespectful bat flip I've ever seen and it just looked like him tossing the bat like I guess I don't understand what a bat flip is. Don't they all have to drop the bat before they run the bases? People are such whiners when it comes to bat flips in baseball. When Jose Batista in the playoffs a few years ago had that bat flip, I loved it. It was awesome. He showed a lot of emotion afterwards. That's what you should do after you hit a big home run like, home run like that in a, in a deciding game uh, to take the lead in a playoff game. You should, you should just show off and throw the bat. I don't care. Uh, so it's kind of a boastful way to be like, yeah, I just did that. Here's my bat. Yeah. Like, I guess what makes it more disrespectful, like throwing it on the ground or like throwing it high in the air? Or is it the more flips you get it, like the the more the disrespect meter goes up? Maybe if you do what Yasiel Puig does, Ben, where he goes like this and then he just drops the bat and then walks. <laughs> and then all of a sudden he finds out that the ball's not even going to come out, of the, <laughs> not even going to go out of the yard. And he ends up getting a single afterwards. <laughs> does anybody break the bat in half over their knee? Is that just when they strike out? Frustration. In frustration. Not yeah, not a not as not a, a show, not as a feat of strength, just a yeah. That's what I would do over my head. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, so let's move on to the NL Central, and this division to me is similar to the NL East. Uh, I don't know if it's as unpredictable, but I think all five of these teams have a legitimate shot of finishing 500 and competing for a postseason spot in some regard. But I do want to talk about my Pirates to start things out. And Brian, I want you to give your honest assessment on what your expectations are for Pittsburgh this season Uh, as a totally unbiased uh, Last in the division. Okay. (laughs) So I I think they finished fourth in the division. I know the Reds made some splashy moves in the offseason, but I still think that the Pirates are going to finish ahead of them. There's a lot of things that need to go right for the Pirates to make the playoffs. Their starting rotation is arguably the most underrated in all of baseball with Jamison Tyone, who a lot of people expect to break out, Trevor Williams, who had a Cy Young quality second half to the season last year, had six shutout innings in his first start, so seems like he can keep it up for a little while longer. And then Chris Archer is a looked like he was an ace early in his career in Tampa, didn't put up those numbers if he with a full off season with uh, Pirates pitching coach Ray Searage can reestablish his dominance. He can be. Scary. I do agree with the Chris Archer then, take. Yeah, he was great in Tampa, and then he hasn't been mm-hmm. uh, that great since he's left. But, no, it's it's a matter of can Pittsburgh get the best yeah. out of him. If he's not going to be any different, then that's that's unfortunate. He's not greater than a third or fourth starter on a middling team. If, if those three can all meet expectations this season that the Pirates fan base have for them, you have a bullpen that's right up there 
with the Yankees and the A's with Felipe Vazquez, Keon Kella, Kyle Crick, Richard Rodriguez. Those are in even Nick Birdie, one of their top prospects. Those are five guys that in in lesser bullpens could all be closers. And then from there, it's it's the the lineup and the fielding. They have one of the best outfields in the league when everyone's healthy. Right now, Gregory Polanco is not healthy, but Starling Marte, Corey Dickerson, both guys who can do a lot of things with the bat and a lot of things in the field, having both won multiple. Dickerson winning a gold glove in 2018, Marte winning multiple back in 2015 and 2016. There are some question marks in the infield. I was really optimistic for Pittsburgh right before opening day when against St. Louis when they blew a 4-0 lead, wound up losing 6-5 in the 11th. But a lot of the guys I was frustrated with tonight have been off to a good start. Eric Gonzalez, RBI triple, the shortstop who no one understands why Pittsburgh is making him their starting shortstop other than saving money because their owner won't spend. And Young Ho Gung hit a home run. Uh, I think if, if he can return to his form as a, a big power hitter before his, his visa troubles that prevented him from playing for most of the past two seasons, that's another guy who can really make an impact on this team. But I'm going to say they, they finish in fourth place, 83 wins, which might be a little optimistic. I just hope they finish above 500 and silence some of the haters after going 82 and 79 last season and doing nothing in the offseason really to address them. Yeah, I guess the only reason why I like the Reds more, slightly more than Pittsburgh, you would get, you, you just gave a much better analysis than I ever would. Uh, I, the only reason why I pick the Reds over the Pirates is just because, like you said, the semi-splashy moves that, that they made in the offseason, but also just because I'm a huge uh, Joey Votto fanboy. So I guess that's the one that... Joey Votto, uh, he's, I, he, he's got a, he can maybe get back to his old ways, but I don't think he I do will. agree. He's, he's getting, he's getting at, the t- uh, at the back nine of his career now, but I still... I'm still a huge fan. I wish he was on the Red Sox, a guy like him, but his contract is just way too much, and he's yeah, also that's... just a little too old now to, to for mm-hmm. the Red Sox to even think about Sunny... getting him. <laughs> Sonny Gray was rocked by the Pirates in his first start. Couldn't even make it out of the third inning. I don't think Matt Kemp is going to do all that great. I think he had a bounce-back season back in the Dodgers, and he'll be more like Atlanta Braves, San Diego Padre, Matt Kemp with Cincinnati. But don't forget, they have Yasiel they have Puig. the National League MVP in Yasiel Puig, right? Right, Ben? Is that correct? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think Ben even knows what team Puig plays for. He plays for the Cincinnati... Uh, Albuquerque something. Isotopes, right? <laughs> it's a color. They're the capital C's. Okay, I was surprised. Uh, yeah, I mean Puig is probably gonna hit a bunch of home runs, but I don't, I don't know if he's a, a necessary or necessarily like a a MVP type addition for them. So they maybe go from sixty eight wins to seventy eight wins, and I think that's that's a solid season. But it's gonna finish fifth in this division. And the reason why I think that is because the top three teams are all going to be really good to some extent with the Milwaukee Brewers, St. Louis Cardinals, and Chicago Cubs. So a lot of people were, or I guess a lot of the metrics were down on the Cubs entering the season thinking that they might not even finish 500. But even though they didn't really make a ton of moves, that seems like a crazy take for a team that, with the core they have now, won the World Series three years ago. What do you think, Brian? I think the Cubs... I like them in the win of the division still, even though the Cardinals, uh, they had the best offseason for sure. 
they made the most improvements by getting Paul Goldschmidt and uh, adding probably a potential MVP candidate as well. Uh, I th- I still think the Cubs will win the division. They have they still have they still have Bryant. They still have Rizzo. Uh, they still have John Lester leading their uh, rotation. And I I think you Darvish will be um, probably one of the most improved players this year. He was a disaster last year and in Game Seven, of course, versus Houston. But I still like his chances to bounce back. So I'm going to go with the Cubs. So I think the Cubs should win this division, but they won't. I do like the Cardinals to win the division. Uh, it's with the signing of or the the trading and then extending Paul Goldschmidt. That's that's probably the biggest move of the offseason. I agree that he's going to be MVP candidate. I think St. Louis edges Chicago for the division, but the Cubs are the wild card once again. And then Milwaukee, I know I picked them to win the division last year. I was right about that. I think they're coming in third this year. The bullpen is going to regress. You already have Corey Knebel, Tommy John surgery. He's going to be out for the season. They don't have their, a their rotation, rotation is it's still Jolie their, their rotation is still like, not that great compared to no their their best hope is if Christian Yelich hits a home run yeah. in every single game yeah. this season. <laughs> he he if he puts up MVP type numbers and Lorenzo Cain has another phenomenal season in the field. Mike Mustakis, Travis Shaw do the kind of things that they have done in the past when it comes to power. Then. Oh, and I guess they also added Yasmani Grindal, who's a, a great catcher, definitely an improvement there. They, I think the the Brewers are going to be able to score a lot of runs, but they're going to have to win games. Like it's really just the eight. top of their lineup that is really strong. Outside of that, it's it's really kind of goes downhill from there, especially their rotation. Uh, but it's again, it's just it's just Christian Yelich, it's just Lorenzo Cain, um, and outside of those two, and like you said, Travis Shaw uh, being the cleanup hitter in their lineup. I don't. I'm still not high on them uh, to to finish well. Yeah, I think St. Louis and Chicago are in the 92 to 97 so, so, range, but Milwaukee is going to win. So you're going with, uh, to backtrack from the previous division, you're going with the Nationals to win and the Phillies in the wild card, and you're going with the Cardinals to win and the Cubs. Yeah, Cubs in the wild card. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go vice versa for both of those. But So we're basically on the same page, but we're going vice versa in terms of first and second. All right. So I like so the Cubs from and there, the Cardinals. But yeah. Cardinals in the wild card. Okay. From there, we're just left yep. with the NL West. And I I don't know if this is necessarily a bold prediction for me because I was huge on the Dodgers last year. I said that before the season they'd win the World Series, before the playoffs they'd win the World Series. Past few years, they've come up short. In, in the World Series, uh, losing uh, a heartbreaking seven-game series to Houston and then a five-game series last year to the Red Sox. I'm not going to say that the Dodgers will win the World Series this year, but I think the Dodgers are going to run away with this division and they're going to win by 15-plus games. Yeah, I, 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 that is my, my I think the prediction. NL West is just like the AL West and AL Central where it's, it's them and then everyone else. I don't even know who comes in second. I don't... I mean, the, the Diamondbacks just traded one of their only good players. Uh, the Giants are not anywhere near as good as they were uh, when they were in the World Series in 2010, 12, and 14. And the Padres, yeah, they added Manny Machado, but I still think they're years away from really contending for the division or in the playoffs. Uh, and, yeah, I just think the Dodgers are just far and away the best team in their division. And maybe, again, once again, in... Uh, the National League. 
So I'm a little disappointed you said that, but okay, I, I'll, I'll give my rationale. So the Rockies made the playoffs last season. They had, in terms of their only major moves, they replace DJ LeMahieu with Daniel Murphy at second base, and Murphy's already injured. I think he's out like four to six weeks, so that's not off to a great start. And they lost Adam Montevino, who is a big member of their bullpen. They still have a great rotation. They still have some really awesome hitters. Nolan Arenado. Nolan Arenado. uh, Trevor Story. Charlie Blackman. But I think the Rockies are kind of like the A's in that they, I think they overachieved a little bit last year and they're going to be maybe 85 wins. I think they finish above 500, but I, I don't really consider them being right in it at the end. As so I like the Rockies more than you, but I would say they barely missed the playoffs. I like them more than the A's. Uh, I think Nolan Arenado, you pick Juan Soto to win MVP in the national league. I will go with Nolan Arenado. I think he's, um, arguably, but I think he's the best third baseman in baseball. If it's not Chris Bryant, uh, he batted, what two two ninety seven last year I think and thirty hundred thirty and a hundred I think uh, he's still the leader of that team they lose DJ, DJ Lemayu yes but again they added Daniel Murphy like you said so I think they can win maybe ninety games but I think they'll fall they're gonna be the team that just misses the playoffs in my opinion okay and from there the Padres seeing them get off to the start of their season. Uh, has me a little higher on them than I thought it would be, but I do agree that they're they're still at least I can see a him, couple I, years I, away from. I can true see contention. him finishing uh, five hundred and being third in that division. I think they'll maybe flirt right. with five hundred for a little while, but they'll they'll end up finishing in the you know maybe seventy five, seventy six. Yeah, wins, that sounds so. accurate. High seventies, low eighties. And then Arizona, there's a lot of people who think that oh they're still somewhat of a playoff contender, but like you said, they traded away Paul Goldschmidt and they lost AJ Pollock and Patrick Corbin. In like they're three agency. best players. <laughs> so, yeah, they still have Zach Grinke, who's a great starting pitcher. I don't know. I don't know how but... much you can rely on Zach Grinke. I mean, he was awesome in Kansas City, of course. He had some up and de- ups and downs with with the Dodgers, but I don't. I I wouldn't rely on him uh, staying um, one only healthy, but two uh, pitching consistently. Um, as a you know, good starter in the rotation, I don't I don't trust Zach Greinke. No, I don't. I don't think he's going to be an All Star this season. They have Nick Ahmed and Kettle Marte, who are decent middle infielders to them, but I don't know Jake Lamb at third base. I I just I don't think Arizona is going to be anywhere close to playoff contention no, this year. I I don't I don't think so either. And then the Giants, they're the oldest team in baseball, and it's not a good thing. They seem somewhat hopeless right now. They tried to get Bryce Harper to maybe add a little bit of excitement, but they they just have a ton of washed-up guys all throughout their rotation and lineup. I don't think the Giants will even get to 70 wins this year. Same. I don't have much of a take on the Giants. They're, they're, they're just <laughs> awful. They're, they probably... I think, other than the Marlins, I think they could have the worst record in the National League. The Marlins will have the worst. Yeah, I agree. I I think Miami and San Francisco are 1-2, and or 14-15, and Mm -hmm. however you want to look at it. Right. Ben, how do you feel about the San Francisco Giants this year? Uh, The Giants, wait, what year is it? It's not an even even year, so it's, uh, it's not looking good. 
That, that's fair, because 2018 was a great year for the Giants and almost finishing 500. Well, last time I paid attention to the Giants, that reference was still relevant, so that should give you an indication. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's wrap things up with our World Series predictions. Ben, what are your thoughts on the World Series? Um, it's the... I usually watch at least a couple of them, of the games, every year. <laughs> <laughs> like, one or two. Usually the last one. Who's going to be playing? I was going to say, year? isn't he looking for your prediction, not not what you're going to do during the World <laughs> Series? <laughs> Just in general about the World Series. I mean, there's definitely uh, going to be a couple of teams fighting it out, and it's going to be a good one. I think that as long as whoever gets the most dingers from the National League is going to be going up against someone uh equally uh representative of a similar league but differently the american league uh, and they're gonna have a real battle on their hands for the pennant when, which if you just that says it all right there you can't argue with uh with a prediction like that top notch analysis all right so i think that sounds like yankees versus phillies because ben's predicting a ton of home runs i was gonna say series. the same thing yeah well, no, not okay. not that I was going to say the same thing. I was just saying yeah. that based on power, that's what I would have guessed too. So, uh, so Ben will go with the Yankees, Phillies. All right, for me, uh, I'll just go with the total homer take. Uh, I'll go with the Red Sox repeating, even with their horrible start. Uh, winning versus, uh, I'll go with the Cubs. I still love the Cubs. That's like a bandwagon team for me. It's just the total homer take. Uh, but I'm kind of take cornered after last year what happened with the Red Sox after I didn't even I picked the Yankees you know to win I did the same thing it, it worked out well for us yeah but, it worked out well but, for but, us but not our predictions I'm just taking no. like there have been two Boston teams that have won the you know the their championship that I picked them to not win like I'm basically take cornered now uh but I still like even though the Red Sox have sucked uh, I still think their chances of winning are good especially since in the in the in October they're going to use Price and Evaldi once again uh, you know, in the late, late part of the games. So I'm still going to pick the Red Sox, even with their bad start, to win it all and to repeat. So I would I would love to see it happen, but teams don't repeat in baseball. They don't, no. So <laughs> so I'm, I'm predicting the Astros to win the American League, but I like the National League to win the World Series this year, and that will be the St. Louis Cardinals. I think the addition of Paul Goldschmidt is going to be huge. They haven't made the playoffs in a while, but I think they're going to get back into it and they're going to have what it takes to win a, what should be a pretty even national league. And that I think that all of the five teams that I expect to make the playoffs have reasonable shots to go on runs. And I'm, I'm taking St. Louis and I'm taking them to win it. I all. think we took the same five or same 10 teams to make the playoffs. Just a little bit different, a little bit different in terms of uh, who wins the division though. Yeah. All right. So that will wrap up our baseball talk for now. And let's move on to the quick hitter segment where we will be talking about the final four. And we'll start that off by talking a little bit about how we got to where we are. And the tournament, you can argue whether it was an exciting first weekend or not, but we wound up with 14 of the top 16 teams in the Sweet 16, with the only exceptions being a 5 seed and a 12 seed, who a lot of people thought would make the Sweet 16, the the, the big uh, upset pick. So from there, the second weekend with the Sweet 16 and the Elite 8 was awesome. That, that round of games made up for everything that happened uh, in the previous rounds. I'm not saying, like, call it the 
you know, the first few rounds sucked or anything, but it wasn't as, it was pretty disappointing with how, how many upsets there were. Cause that's what college basketball is all about. Like, you know, all these upsets that happen where you don't even see them coming. And, and like you said, the, there are 14 out of the 16 teams that top 14 out of the 16 teams that made it to the sweet 16. And the two that weren't in part of that were popular upset picks to make it. So it was pretty disappointing, especially if you look at my bracket and how bad it sucked. But <laughs> yeah, that's what it's really about is having my bracket be ruined. Yeah. Um, so uh, from that perspective, actually, it was a pretty good round because my bracket got like trashed pretty quickly this year. Yeah. So th- this year you had the longest someone remained perfect at 49 games, which is 10 more than the previous record. So that right there kind of tells you how few upsets there were uh, in terms of unpredictability, at least. But I do think it did make up for it this this past weekend. You can include the Sweet 16 as well. The Elite Eight, you had four phenomenal games. You had Texas Tech and Zaga came down right to the end, even though it was a six-point game. Texas Tech had a two, few free throws, which included a couple technicals. Yeah, two two of the, the games end. went to overtime, and then Michigan State yep. Duke went to the last few seconds to yeah, determine one, a winner. One point game there. That uh, that that was that was awesome. That that's gonna be my favorite one to talk about here. After Duke somehow beat UCF and Virginia Tech because both of them missed shots clear looks at the the hoop in the in the paint they just could not fall somehow uh it 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 felt right that duke lost because they gave up a really good look for a three-pointer and then when trying to uh, tie the game you had a miss free throw and then intentionally missing but accidentally making it and then not having enough fouls called against them to uh, send Michigan State to the free throw line for their, their last hope. So we're left with a Final Four of Michigan State, Texas Tech, Virginia, and Auburn. And would you guys say Virginia getting there is the biggest story because of what happened last year? Uh, Yeah, I would say so just because of how disappointing they've been. every For like the, what, the past four years, they've, uh, they've been knocked out uh, either early or they there was one year they were knocked out by Syracuse in the Elite Eight. Yeah, a 2015 as a team that yeah. wasn't even supposed. Or 2016. To, yeah, well, I, yeah, I think it was 2016. A, a year where Syracuse was trashed by every ana- uh, analyst out there, you know, saying like, "Oh, they shouldn't even been in the tournament," and ended up making the Final Four. So mm-hmm. yeah, Virginia making the Final Four is probably the biggest story. I agree. Were Were Virginia down to Oklahoma like early in that game? Or was it? They were down to Garner. It was Garner. Well, okay, yeah, because I remember yeah. being in my office when they when that game was going on, and someone was like, yep. "Oh, damn, I should have picked Garner Webb, dude. Virginia sucks." <laughs> <laughs> I thought for sure Virginia was gonna win that game by 30, 40 points. I can't believe that they were down at halftime after losing. I thought it was gonna game. happen again once they were down at, at halftime. Uh, so they. There, there was really never a doubt in my mind that, th- that they weren't going to win that game. I thought for sure Virginia would end up pulling it out. But after that, I couldn't really believe in them to advance far in the tournament. But they got there. They beat Oklahoma. They they played a really close game against Oregon, but it was barely able to squeak it out. And then somehow... That was the stupidest shot ever. <laughs> that, that's, that, the, the last five seconds of that game. The Purdue? Of, uh, yeah, Virginia-Purdue. Where I mean, you yeah. could say Purdue didn't even deserve to be in that game after 
what happened versus Tennessee. I th- I don't think that was a foul. I think they should have just let it go. And ten- I think Tennessee should have won that game. But Purdue versus Virginia in the last five seconds, that was just just total luck and just throwing it up. And then all of a sudden it goes how in. That, like, how does that shot go just, in? The ball bounces behind half court, somehow gets a Mamadi Diakite, and he, he knocks it down. And then Virginia ends up winning. It and you knew, and you basically knew who was going to win that game after that shot. Yeah, at that point, it was, it was pretty pretty clear that Virginia had all the momentum heading into overtime. But it was an out, outstanding tournament run for Purdue's Carson Edwards. And, you know, going for. 40 he, of virginia 70 and he likely in, in regulation he likely improved his draft stock i'm not saying he's going to be a top five pick all of a sudden but he looks like someone that yeah like, i don't really know what his draft stock was but i, I imagine guess, that it's yeah I'm, it's gonna be hard for him to come right back. he'd probably be like i don't know mid first round pick late first round pick something like that where um shabazz napier when he had that run with yukon he probably wasn't even um, barely mentioned in drafts, but once he carried that team to a national championship, he ended up being a late first round pick from Miami. So I can see something like that. Yeah. So Edwards had arguably the the best performance since Steph Curry in a tournament, if not even better. Uh, just how lights out he was every single game, knocking down threes. I still think Steph Curry's but... is the best, just because how how often he's brought up every tournament year when some some guy on a team. Uh, particular point guard who can shoot. Uh, all of a sudden, they're they're com- being compared to Steph Curry's run when he was at Davidson, and almost single handedly brought him to the Final Four. It's hard to say it's not Curry, but Edwards outscored him, and I I do think that it's it's very reasonable to say that that was the best four game performance for uh, at least for a player in terms of scoring. And also think about the team that Steph Curry was on. He, he wasn't on a mid-major or, or not a big, no, big, you're right. Big, he wasn't yeah, on power a, six team. No. He was on a mid-major no, da- Davidson. Team. Edwards is still carrying his yeah. team. He scored half you, you, of their points, more than half of their points. You can make a case for either. I would still lean Curry is what I would say. All right. So let's, let's get into the final four, uh, previews and predictions. The first game we have Virginia against Auburn. And these are two teams that almost feel like polar opposites and that Auburn loves to play super fast and push the pace on everybody, whereas Virginia is one of the slowest teams in the country, but also one of the best defensive teams. So it's kind of a matter of which which opposite force is going to win. I wonder, yeah, I wonder if Auburn can pull off another upset because even though Virginia is the better team on paper, Auburn beat North Carolina, who we both picked to win the national championship mm-hmm. and a lot of people. Uh, and then they beat Kentucky, two really what probably arguably top five teams in the nation, uh, and upset both of them. And then one of them without, yeah, and one of them Kansas. and Kentucky oh. without Okiki, without one of their best yeah, players. Yeah, Chumo Okiki torn ACL. It's gonna be a questions of uh, how how much that's going to hurt them moving forward, not having him. But they still have a lot of guys who can score on the wings, and Jared Harper, Bryce Brown, and Anthony Mclemore. So I do think that Auburn has a chance against Virginia, but Virginia is the best team in the uh, remaining. DeAndre Hunter is a top 10 NBA prospect. Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome are a great tandem uh, running the the guards. And Kyle, Kyle so, Guy was not shooting the ball well in the first part of the tournament. And then in the second half, no, in the he, second half he was, of... Uh, against Purdue, yeah, it was, he, he was horrible in the first yeah, half. Yeah, and then, and then afterwards, yeah, so, he was good. 
if he can get in the zone and Auburn isn't lights out from three like they have been, uh, especially against Kansas and North Carolina, then I, I do think Virginia has a, a fairly easy task ahead of them but I, I do expect this to be a pretty close game but i, I do have to give the uh, and Cavaliers i and i would i would agree as well i i got i just gotta appreciate what auburn has gone through to get here though. i know we just listed them totally, off but like totally they beat three of like the really good blue basketball teams <laughs> like because <laughs> like, i mean kansas i know they're a four seed but still kansas is known to be good at basketball and then north carolina which you said wait you guys both chose to win like mm-hmm. obviously a uh, you know a really good basketball program that's always in contention, uh, and then Kentucky also. So like I mean they've gone uh, it's they've gone David versus Goliath many times in this tournament. So this is nothing new for them. Uh, and just like that guy in my in my office said, Virginia sucks, dude. So I'm going. <laughs> I I gotta go with Auburn to get in one more upset. I think they got one more in them. See, it's it's amazing that this run for Auburn would have never happened if New Mexico State didn't pull off that comeback in the first round and made that three-pointer at the buzzer. Oh my goodness, I totally forgot to about that. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. that's a great point. They were, they were so close to being one and done, and now they're in the Final Four. So the other game, Michigan State-Texas Tech. Brian, you and I both had Michigan State in the national championship game, losing the national championship game. I don't know about you, but I do like the Spartans to carry what they did against duke into a victory over texas Tech. i agree if you can beat the best well maybe you wouldn't agree but they were the duke was the best team coming into the tournament they were the best yeah team. i i do they agree. were they were the best team coming into the tournament if you can beat them in a game like that with uh a one-point game uh with seconds remaining uh and take out duke with zion and our uh, barrett i think you deserve to i think i think they're they're going to be Texas Tech. But I also think that'll be a closer game than the Virginia-Auburn game. So I think it will come down to the end, but I still like Michigan State to win. So Texas Tech relies on their defense, which feels crazy to say because I always think of Big 12 football and teams scoring 40 points a game in football, whereas here it seems like Texas Tech's basketball defense might give up fewer points per game than their football defense. (laughs) Um, But Texas Tech, yeah, they... They have a ton of they have really good defense, but they're they're scoring. It's mostly Jarrett Culver. He's a top five, top ten NBA prospect. But from there, Michigan State is Cassius Winston, who is he was named uh, first team All American, and they also have a ton of big guys, most notably Nick Ward and Xavier Tillman. I think that they're going to be able to do enough to give Michigan State the victory, and it's it's pretty amazing what tom Izzo has been able to do with this team after losing josh langford at the end of january for the rest of the season so i i do like the spartans and that'll set up a michigan state virginia national championship game of course michigan state has upset virginia in the tournament in the past so ben who are you taking to face auburn I think I'm going to go with Michigan State here. I agree with what you guys okay. said. If they can beat... So we all take Michigan State. Yeah, if they can beat Duke, I, I think I've got a lot of faith in them. All right, I'll let you start off with your Michigan State-Auburn prediction. Oh, I think Michigan State's going to take it. Like I said, I think Auburn's got one more upset in them, but that's it. And I think Michigan okay. State is going to take it home in what will end up being a relatively um, uneventful final. Uh, I like Virginia over Michigan State and... I mean, we both picked them to lose to, to uh, we both picked them to lose 
in the national championship. So I want to stick with that opinion. Uh, but I think you're right, Corey, that even though Duke came in to the tournament as the best team and they uh, beat Virginia twice, uh, I, I think Virginia uh, is the best team uh, in the tournament right now. And if they can put up 65 points uh, with their defense, they should be able to take down uh, anyone left in the tournament. So I'm, I'm going to go with Virginia over Michigan State. I'm going to take Michigan State over Virginia in what I think will be a close national championship game. And for no other reason than I think Michigan State has a better chance of beating Texas Tech than Virginia does of beating Auburn. So I'm going to roll the dice and say that the team that, you know, whether or not Virginia makes the Final Four, I think Michigan, or makes the national championship game, I think Michigan State is going to win the national championship. So let's move on now to Embrace Debate. With the team eliminated from playoff contention, the Los Angeles Lakers shut down LeBron James for the final six games of the season. What kind of effect does LeBron's wasted first season in LA have on his legacy, and what should the Lakers do from here with their team filled with promising young talent and a 34-year-old superstar? Okay, I've got a big question for you guys because you're a little more familiar with NBA free agency. Is there like is are there going to be a lot of guys moving to LA? This summer? Is that a... Do we think that? Well, I know the Anthony Davis thing fell apart, and Kawhi Leonard's having a great time in Toronto. So are these guys going to go join forces with LeBron, or is it on him to develop the young core? Honestly, I don't think the Lakers are going to land one of the top few free agents in this class. There's a lot of guys who are available, and I I don't think that any of them are going to end up on the Lakers. Well, see, see, that's that, that's the thing for me is I kind of understood this year as you know the uh, practice year, the preparation year, to figure out who's integral to the roster, who's not, so that we can get rid of guys and bring in the real Lakers, the Kawhi Leonard's and the uh, Paul Georges and the uh, Anthony Davises. I mean, this was a while back when even before this season started when LeBron first announced his move, I saw this whole year as just like prep um, for the following season, which is when the Lakers would be a super team. The Warriors would be on the way down. Now the Lakers are everything. And as time goes on, that seems less and less likely. And suddenly the Lakers have this aging LeBron James and a core of young guys who aren't there yet, but it seems like it would be uh, really short-sighted to get rid of uh, if you aren't going to replace them with a, another long-term answer. I mean, LeBron James is only going to be around for so much longer. However, Michael Jordan was still really good into his late 30s. So if LeBron James is supposed to be the next Michael Jordan, you could still see them do, like make, doing some damage in two or three more years. But is that the goal with LeBron James when you sign him? So... None of us thought that they were going to be a championship contender, but we all thought they'd make the playoffs this year. We thought with LeBron James, a young core, some veterans coming in, they wouldn't be the the kind of team that he had with Cleveland where he had just enough the right pieces that he could navigate through the Eastern Conference. Of course, being in the West, more challenging, but still find a way to get to the finals. But to not even make the playoffs 
and I don't think it's all on LeBron. I, I do think he shoulders some of the blame just because of the way the Anthony Davis non-trade played out. But Lakers management didn't do him any favors by signing Rondo and JaVale McGee and, the yeah, Austin, like and Lance John Stevenson. Rondo, yeah. <laughs> no, Michael Beasley. They didn't give him anyone who could shoot. They Then you have some of these young guys with Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Kyle Kuzma that they, they're decent players right now but none of them are superstars yet and the experiment just didn't work and now it's a question of are they going to bring in more guys in the offseason do guys even want to play with LeBron James that's a question that a lot of people are asking and I don't think that they're going to land anybody because for for multiple reasons uh not necessarily just that they don't want to come to LA it's just that it'll be difficult for them to leave their current situation or there's a different situation that may be more attractive uh but with the Lakers I I don't know if if they roll out the same team and say maybe they add uh a second tier superstar whatever to a, a max contract that may or may not be deserved I don't think that that sets him up any better in 2020 when Anthony Davis is a free agent, potentially, assuming he doesn't get traded somewhere and decides to remain there. So I I think that Magic Johnson has to shoulder a lot of this blame, and they're going to fire their coach, Luke Walton. They're going to make some changes here, and I I don't know if they're going to be the right Luke Walton is a total goner. I mean, any coach that ends up getting LeBron... Uh, on their team in the offseason. I mean, yes, Eric Spolstra ended up uh, ended up work, working out for him, but it didn't work out for David Blatt. And, I mean, yeah, it worked out for Tyron, Tyron Lue, but after LeBron left, they fired Tyron Lue six games into the year. Uh, and Luke Weldon, I mean, he's basically been a sidecar the entire time since LeBron's gotten there. Uh, so I can see him getting fired. And then if they do get... Davis or whomever, they're probably going to trade away Ingram, Ball, uh, Kuzma, and and then they're just left with LeBron and then one or maybe two other superstars, which is great, of course, but I don't know what uh, how they're going to do it exactly. I think just having LeBron James at this point in his career, is it's a short-term policy. You don't have LeBron James if you're trying to prepare for the future. I think you're trying to win now. Mm-hmm. So... If they don't make moves, I don't know what they're doing. Like, I don't think that they can necessarily get rid of LeBron James, but if they're, uh, I don't think that they should uh, get rid of their young talent for short short term success if it's just not going to happen. Like, I didn't think this team was that bad. Really, st- like uh, Lance, like Dance uh, Stevenson didn't uh, did, doesn't impress you. Or uh, or or Rondo, the, no, the no, basketball, I, I ag- the, the assist genius uh, isn't good enough for I, you. I agree. They they didn't assemble a roster that could compete for a championship. I mean, is this roster worse than the Cavs last year? Yes, be- it, not necessarily because of the talent of the role players, but the actual role. I was going to say the, the exact players. same thing. Yeah, yeah. The talent, the talent on the Lakers is better, but the roles that they have, none of them are really decided or known uh throughout their team but Mm -hmm. the Cavs yeah they had less talent last year but um they knew what they were getting into even Kevin Love when he got there uh and ended up being the third man when Kyrie was there in Cleveland uh no I'm talking about literally last year's Cavs that yes yeah oh I know squad that LeBron dragged kicking and screaming to the final Jordan Clarkson and Lance uh 
Larry Nance, he, they ended up uh, being okay for them as well. So I guess from there, the next question is, all right, if they're not any different, then what's, well, like, why are the Lakers not going to the playoffs? And you can say LeBron's injury. Because of the West, dude. Not, no, I think it's more than that, though. I think it's just, there's just, he just had a general lack of indifference this year. He did not care about making the playoffs this season. He was all about his you know being in la promoting his brand he's got his new space jam 2 movie coming out he's he's doing his his like shows his barbershop thing like going on podcasts and stuff he had other priorities this season than winning and that's fine if the expectation is that okay this like you said is me the practice year and they're gonna bring in guys who can help him win a championship next year but until that happens this season has to be a total failure and the Lakers outlook can't be any more promising this year than it was, you know, a couple years ago when the thought was maybe we're going to get LeBron James. Now it's maybe we're going to bring in more superstars to add to him, but yeah, I think, I think we all agreed. I think we all agreed that they weren't going to do that much uh, coming into this season, whether they made the playoffs or not, but it does raise more questions uh, coming into next offseason on what they're really going to do because we all thought, okay, after they get LeBron, they're go- they're going to get Anthony Davis or Kawhi Leonard or even Kevin Durant if he leaves mm-hmm. Golden State and wants to join LeBron uh, and if he doesn't want to go to New York because that's been a rumor. Uh, well, and when, when LeBron decided to go to the Lakers at that time, Paul George was still deciding his own future. So a lot of people said it was like with with Well, no, because Paul George that, signed with Oklahoma City or re-signed with Oklahoma City before LeBron announced he was going to the Lakers. It was like the night, oh, that, yeah, okay, the night before. Well, the, like, I don't know, there was this expectation that L- the LA was going to be a sweet spot to mm-hmm. land in. And after this year, it looks horrible. Yeah. It looks yeah. like you wouldn't want to go there at all. No. But, no. but there's a huge caveat here. And it's LeBron James being selfish. Yes. Because, like you said, LeBron James had these other side projects. He also produced Two Chains' newest album. And, uh, I didn't, I didn't. After one listen through, I wasn't super impressed, but uh, LeBron James definitely was a big part of that album release. And I think that he's made great strides off the court in uh, kind of integrating himself into like the celebrity culture. I mean, he already was this amazing, uh, you know, uh, personality. Uh, Look no further than uh, his decision uh, for the Heat. You know, LeBron James has always been kind of transcendent of the game but i think he's really focusing on that and is kind of headed towards this transition to towards what he'll do after basketball so um lebron james definitely going to be making plenty of money but i i just wonder how ugly it will get as he enters this stage of his career where maybe it's not all about success anymore we'll see we'll see but i this year proved that like lebron james kind of he's mortal you know even with uh, you know, him being LeBron James, it doesn't guarantee he'll be in the finals, even if some of these terrible Cavs squads have made it seem like he wouldn't make it. I'm not ready to call it yet, but the window for him passing Michael Jordan is closing much I thought faster. it already. I thought it already closed when he uh, lost his first see, NBA so, championship. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I'm, I'll, I'll entertain some of the ideas. Uh, I think it'll take a lot for him to still pass him at this point, but if the Lakers can't return to prominence and they're continually going to be a, will they make the playoffs? Will they not? Uh, or, you know, maybe he just goes to another team because he can't handle this situation any longer. But I, 
I'm I'm getting pretty close to to just ignoring any kind of conversation that LeBron James is greater than Michael Jordan. More talented, maybe. Greatness. What he did this season was not does not any come anywhere close to the greatness of Michael Jordan. Uh, what about when Jordan's on the Magic though? What? Was it the Wizards? Sorry, the Wizards. Yeah. When he was like 39 years old and still putting up 40 points per game. You know Bradley Beal <laughs> this season in like his seventh, sixth or seventh season with the Wizards tied Michael Jordan's record for 40-point games as a Wizard, and Jordan played one and a half seasons, including injury, with the Wizards. And that was at 38, 39 years old. Yeah, I actually watched a YouTube video uh, recently about Michael Jordan as a wizard, and he was freaking amazing. Yeah. Like, if he didn't get hurt, he would have still, like, he would have made done some damage mm-hmm. uh, while he was a wizard, which kind of amazed me. And made, gave, at least gave me a little bit of faith that LeBron James still has more to, to do. Um, like, getting to this point, because he's 34, right? Yeah. Um, like being this old, I was like, "Oh, he's washed up," you know. Like it makes sense that the only people he's gonna be balling on is the Monstars and Space Jam too. But he still has time. If if Jordan could do it, and if LeBron James is supposed to be as good as Le- uh, Michael Jordan or better, then let's see it. Keep you got to keep balling into your late thirties. We'll see. It'll help if he lands a big superstar or two this off season, next off season. But until then, the the Lakers are probably not going to be in the playoffs anytime soon so let's move on to our next segment and ben why don't you introduce this one eloha echo today we're talking about the premier league and basically just english football in general so i'm not sure how much of our how much our listeners pay attention to uh european football but i think it's really great one of the things i love about soccer is you can play soccer (laughs) a lot of times like in great frequency similar to baseball not as great a frequency as baseball but definitely more frequent than football uh and and what that allows you to do is to compete in multiple competitions at once so we'll start with the premier league right now the premier league with 20 teams uh the the goal of any premier league team's season is to win the league to finish the 38 game season as the number one team uh, in the league with the most points. You get three points for a win, one point for a tie, obviously zero points for losing. And uh, we're we're getting to the point where you can kind of see the picture there. But the number one spot is not all they're competing for, um, but we'll start there. So the, the number one spot, obviously the winner of the league right now, Liverpool and Manchester City are neck and neck right there. Uh, Liverpool are currently in the number one position. They have two points over Man City. They have 79 points versus Man City 77, but Man City have what's called a game in hand uh, against Liverpool. So they're behind by two points, but Man City have only played 31 games. Didn't, they played Liverpool's today and won, so now they're a point ahead. Man City's at 80. I am looking, at an, at, I'm looking at an old version of the, the tables. Ah. Corey is correct. Manchester City is up by one because they beat Cardiff today. They wrecked Cardiff. And uh, they, that is going to be a uh, pretty close race to the finish. Six games remaining. Every match counts, uh, which is which is pretty exciting. But 
unlike in some other leagues where winning is the top spot is the only thing you can do, there's still a lot uh, to contend for for the other teams. So uh, the top four spots in the Premier League uh, earn a position in the Champions League group stage, um, which the Champions League is a European competition where all the best teams from the European leagues play against each other. That's when you see teams from like England play against, you know, Lionel Messi in uh uh, Barcelona, or maybe you'll see uh, Ronaldo from Juventus representing up against some more of these other teams. So it's a really interesting combination of all the different European leagues. In fact, right now there are four Premier League teams that are still playing Champions League football. Uh, Manchester City, Liverpool, Manchester United, and Spurs are all still playing Champions League football. So what that means is their managers have to use their own tactics to say, okay, I'm going to use this guy for a Premier League game and let him rest while I play this guy during the Champions League game. And it adds a lot more to the decisions that the managers have to make. These rosters are usually much deeper than some of their competition because they have to prepare for so much extra football, uh, which is super awesome. Wouldn't it be cool if football existed in other countries, if the best teams from the NFL got to play play against the best teams from Australia or whatever, and also China and Brazil. I don't know. I'm just making it. It's a obviously crazy no one concept else because all of the big four North American sports leagues are so dominated by the U.S. with NHL having some Canadian teams that you can't really picture that, whereas yeah, soccer is right. just the entire continent of Europe. That's what makes the World Cup so cool is you see all the best players from their countries. The Champions League is kind of that just for clubs and it's just for Europe. Uh, but it's still really cool because you don't have to say what if this team could play this. You get to actually see them and it's the best teams at that. Um, so uh, those top four Champions League spots are in contention. The number five spot actually gets a uh, UEFA Europa League uh, group stage entry as well. So the top five spots are all considered an achievement. And the UEFA Europa um, League is basically like the NIT of the Champions League. Basically, yeah. It's got a bunch of kind of nobodies in it okay. from like the lower leagues. In uh, like, uh, I'm pretty sure there are championship teams that are in there. We'll get to the championship, the English Football League championship in a minute here. But um, descending down the, champ- the uh, Premier League table, the different rankings that you end from there will cause you to receive a different amount of the money from the TV deals uh, that comes from being in the league. So being on TV uh, obviously is a big way for the league to earn money through advertisements and based on where you end at the, uh, where you, uh, your position in the table at the end of the season, you will receive a greater portion of the money collected uh, based on how high you rank. So even if you're kind of one of these middle of the table teams and you finish in seventh versus finishing in 14th, you'll earn that much more money, gives you options in the transfer window to pick up better players, improve your grounds, do do whatever you need with that extra money. And in football, money buys championships. If you have to have the most money if you want to compete. So even though some of these other teams seemingly aren't competing for anything. Every position matters because you have to make those dollars count or uh, euros count. So your or pounds, I guess, because uh, it's the Premier League. But you, so there's still something to compete for, even if you're not competing for the title or a Champions League spot or uh, you know, a Europa League spot. Then it gets down to the very bottom. Here's where it gets extra interesting, extra dramatic. The bottom three 
out of the 20 teams in the Premier League get relegated. And what that means is they get booted out of the league and sent to the lower league, which is the EFL championship. So right now, Huddersfield Town, who have been in the Premier League, this is their second season uh, in the Premier League, they're basically relegated. They're they're basically already done. In fact, they're not basically. They are. They're mathematically eliminated. Fulham are basically uh, relegated. This is their first season back in the Premier League. And Cardiff City is just trotting ahead of Fulham, but has a chance to escape uh, relegation if the last six games go their way uh, and things don't go well for some of the other lower t- uh, teams in the league. And I know you guys are wondering, so I'll go ahead and tell you, Crystal Palace are in 13th and they are they have 36 points, which is the conventional, like the accepted number that is considered safe is 38 points. Generally, if you can get 38 points in the Premier League, you get to play another year. So if Crystal Palace can tie twice or win one more time, they have a good chance of staying in the Premier League, which, as we can all agree, is a good thing uh, that Crystal Palace stay up. I think that will be their seventh season in the Premier League if they stay in next year. So they've been in for a while now, uh, a regular uh, group of boys. So I do have a couple questions about Crystal Palace. So I was looking at the table. They are 10 points back of eighth and eight points clear of 18th, which is a relegation zone, versus the UEFA Europa League. Which one do you think they're more likely to do, move up or down? Um, Unfortunately, I feel like Crystal Palace have a greater chance of, like, having someone catch up with them here late uh we've had a couple of good showings but also a couple of like pretty poor showings uh we brought in mishi bashwai from chelsea for uh a short loan so he's an elite level forward who is playing for just the rest of the season basically to help us stave off relegation so i i'm i'm confident that we won't get relegated mm-hmm. but there's a way better chance of us getting close to the relegation zone than hopping up a bunch of over a bunch of teams to get closer to earning a spot in another competition and the thing is crystal palace really aren't even built to compete in another tournament i know that went finishing in that position would provide them a lot of uh extra money but i cannot imagine crystal palace in the champions league they would get just shredded instantly so well that's in the so future. my well that's my question away. is is that ever going to happen because i feel like crystal palace for seven straight years has finished in that like 10th through 16th range where they've avoided relegation but they haven't established themselves as one of the best teams in the league so are they just going to stand that middling ground forever or what's going to happen with them it's a good question. Uh, I think a lot of people don't think uh, Roy Hodgson is the long-term answer. He has been a decent manager, but he's the oldest manager in the Premier League. So there's a better... I think that Roy Hodgson will die before Crystal Palace get into a uh, Champions League spot. Okay. Uh, but Leicester City, this is my counter to uh, the... I don't know, the assumption that all of the middle t- table teams will never achieve greatness because Leicester City won the Premier League a few years back. So they prove that it's possible for the middle of the table teams to achieve greatly when the th- things happen correctly. And I mean, for a long time, uh, when when uh, Manchester United was on their run of dominance, it looked like no one else could win besides them. So things do change, although slowly sometimes. So uh, for now, I will take 13th in the Premier League as a good sign. I feel better about 
not getting relegated right now than I usually do at this time of year. Okay. So uh, I look at that as progress. But yes, there are definitely some big uh, moves we need to make and also avoid moving backwards. There's been talk of selling Juan Bissaka to Manchester United. There's been talk of Wilfred Zaha also getting sold to United. These are just rumors, but I, I would look at both of those things as huge steps backwards for Palace as those are two of our better players. Uh, but not to get too hung up on Palace, I want to talk about what happens to Huddersfield, probably Fulham, and probably Cardiff City should they get relegated. They are sent to the lower league, uh, the English Football League Championship, which is such a confusing name for a league. How can you name a league a championship? Mm-hmm. Be- uh, the championship, Especially the championship. as a second-tier league. Yeah, so... Anyways, um, I, I think the Premier League is aptly named, but the EFL Championship uh, is a little bit confusing. However, there is uh, Norwich City is looking f- to be in good form, winners of five of their last five, leading the championship, uh, and they're looking like they're going to take the top spot in uh, when that season finally comes to an end. There's a lot of games in the championship. I think it's 48, so there's still like a handful of games left. But there's uh, Norwich City are looking like they should be back in the Premier League soon enough. But the way that it works for them is is pretty interesting. They have the top spot winner of the championship gets automatically promoted. Second place also automatic promotion to the Premier League. But third through sixth place are all in a uh, involved in a playoff where the third seed plays this, I guess, yeah, number three plays number six, and four and five play each other, and then the winners of those go head-to-head to earn the third and final promotion spot to the Premier League. So even being number six in the championship, you have a chance to get uh, promoted, which is pretty cool. It, uh, it really gives a lot of teams something to play for late in the season, which, by the way, the championship also has relegation because there's a, there's a league below that, and then there's another league below that. So if you really bad for you know three seasons in a row you could potentially go from premier league all the way down to uh absolute just uh fans riot uh, anonymity yeah that's that's the territory you would go to yes which i don't know if that's ever happened but it's uh it's possible which but but i do really like this whole thing because even if you're a terrible team that's in the championship you have a chance to one day play some premier league football and that for those teams is a huge achievement like winning the championship and getting promoted is a is great and for some clubs that's their greatest achievement uh so and i i think that's really cool that they get all these other teams involved it's like if a triple a baseball team could do something like if they can yeah, win something. If you want to end tanking in the NBA, why don't you put relegation there? Just the New York Knicks get relegated to the G League in place of the Westchester Knicks. Oh. <laughs> right. But and I and I know that the NBA I don't know if that no, would, work it would necessarily never work, but, but but a league that in the United States that could implement this is the MLS. Yeah. Because true. there are multiple soccer leagues in the United States. The MLS is obviously the most relevant. But if they I think that it would cause a lot of cities to focus a little bit more on their soccer team if they got promoted to the MLS. Mm-hmm. They win whatever ridiculously uh, unimportant league they're a part of. And then suddenly they're you're going to the MLS. That's something for the city to get excited about. And um, I think that it I, there's a whole lot of reasons why the MLS can't do that because of the way that they were formed. But I think it would be a really good addition. And it's a part that's integral to basically every other soccer league everywhere else in the world. Uh, and it's part of what helps it 
helps those leagues work so well. And it's also why ties matter. A lot of people like to criticize soccer. They're like, oh, is a 0-0 tie? What a horrible game. Big disagree. 0-0 ties can be super exciting. And in the big scheme of things, in the, in the larger picture of the season, getting that point can be a, you know a uh, the difference between a good and a bad season so uh i i, I think that all that stuff together uh, makes the format of english football and just football in general in other countries uh, really attractive to me because there's so much that you can win oh i forgot to mention not only is the champions league an additional tournament you can play in uh you can also play in your domestic cups right now the fa cup is going on and oh yeah don't forget about the fa cup because <laughs> uh, manchester or sorry um yeah manchester city who are still in the champions league and fighting for the title in the premier league they're also in the semifinals of the fa cup so a lot of football to play a lot of um important decisions to be made by their manager who's going to play and what and it's uh it, and it's really cool so i just want to talk about the premier league a little bit i don't know who's going to win these things uh i i like to think city are going to do it they're going to pull it out i think that they have a better squad than liverpool but liverpool have looked fantastic this year too so um as far as we'll, if we're going to make a pick i'll pick city Corey, do you have a prediction for who's going to come out on top Manchester city yeah Barcelona, are they in it? <laughs> <laughs> They're in the Champions League. They could win the Champions League. Okay, I'll pick them. I've been a bandwagon fan of Barcelona since I was like ten years old. They're taking I on had a, the uh, United. They're taking on United next. Yeah, so I'm going to go with them just because they're the only remotely suck <laughs> good soccer team that I'm sort of a fan of. One, one because when I was ten years old, I was given a a, Bar- a Ronaldinho Barcelona jersey um, by my aunt when I was like ten years old, and uh, so when I was in elementary school, I went to a Catholic school, so we had uniforms every day, but we occasionally had free dress day. And every free dress day, I always wore that shirt, and it was it was my lucky shirt. Every 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 time I wore that shirt, something good happened. Whether it was I scored a touchdown at recess, or if I got a, uh, and if I aced a test, or if I got to dance with the the pretty girl at the middle school <laughs> dance, I, I I wore that shirt. That I wore that shirt everywhere. That's awesome. And I was even I was even given the nickname uh, Ronaldinho or Ronald McDonald. <laughs> Just because of Ronaldinho, and right? Ronaldinho's a legend, so yeah. that's a great so choice. I, so uh, that's the that's how I got into Barcelona a little bit, and then of course just playing using them as in, in FIFA when with the ninety nine overall rating yeah, yeah. that they've always had. So so that's my that is my minor soccer take, kind of like yours with the Albuquerque. <laughs> I I still I can't get over that. <laughs> uh, okay, all right. So I think that that wraps up our soccer talk for this episode. And let's move on from here to our top five. So Sunday, April 7th, will be the 159th anniversary of Will Keith Kellogg's birth. He's a guy who uh, is the founder of the Kellogg's Company, which of course is mostly known for making cereal. So we had National Cereal Day about a month ago. I realized that would have been a perfect time to do this, but... Uh, luckily, we were able to find a, a different reason to count down our favorite cereals. So without further ado, let's go through and count down our favorite cereals in today's top five. Not two, not three, not four. Top five, top five, top five. All right. So Brian, why don't you lead things off today? Sounds good. All right. So for my number five, I went with a cereal called Crispix. And I don't think I might be the only person on earth that has the cereal and 
before we <laughs> before I go on before I go on, I just gotta say that when it comes to cereal, I might cereal I might be the most boring person alive. Like looking at when I was trying to find my favorite cereals, I'm like, man, I only like healthy cereals, and I'm definitely the most boring person when it comes to cereal. If if if, if having cereal favorite cereals was uh used for a dating profile, I would never get matched with anyone. Like the the people from eHarmony or Match.com, they would they would bring me in and be like, yeah, Brian, you we couldn't match you with anyone because uh, you, yeah, you, you're, you're you're just too boring to make, when it comes to, to make when a, it comes to serial game. To make a uh, soccer reference, that you'd get relegated yeah. to FarmersOnly.com <laughs> based on cereal. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! So yeah, so my number five, I went with Crispix. Uh, it was introduced by Kellogg's. Uh, and it was created specifically to compete with the cereal known as Chex. Uh, and honestly, with this cereal, if if anyone has ever tried it, it's really... I honestly think you could usually use this mostly as a snack rather than a cereal, actually, I think. Uh, so I went with Crispix as my number five. And as the most underrated cereal, in my opinion. What is it? Does uh, it look like Chex? Yeah, it looks like Chex, but it's hec- hec- hectagon shape. Oh, of course. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's probably the big difference. I've never had Shaq's bike. That's probably what it is. They just made a different shape. So I went with that as my number five. My number four, I went with Frosted Flakes. Uh, it's obviously one of the most popular popular cereals uh, in the world. And some fun facts about uh, the Frosted Flakes cereal. Uh, the same people who created the Tony the Tiger cartoon from Frosted Flakes are the same people who created the Pillsbury Doughboy cartoon as well. And when it was first introduced, it also, it wasn't a tiger. It was actually a kangaroo when it's, when the brand started. Another uh, fun fact about Frosted Flakes, uh, the person who used to voice uh, Tony the Tiger was the voice of the singer, uh, the voice who sang the Mr. Grinch song. Like, really? Mr. Grinch. Yeah. Yeah. Early, not like not now, of course, but used to. So it was, uh, wait, it was the guy who sang the song, not the guy. Yeah, who not 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 Mr. Yeah, okay. yeah. A lot of people, Mr. Grinch. Yeah, a lot of yeah. people think that's the same guy. He even is credited for that, but it's not. Yeah. It's two different guys. Mm-hmm. So I went with uh, Frosted Flakes as my number four. My number three, I went with Wheaties, and that is the Breakfast of Champions. And when you notice on every cereal box, it always shows a famous athlete or famous sports uh team or just anything sports related it's always uh they're always shown on Wheaties and last uh last podcast that we did we talked about top five luckiest people uh and I went with Lou Gehrig on my list uh for luckiest people Lou Gehrig fun fact was the first ever athlete to be on the Wheaties uh cereal box like an athlete's uh so I went with I went with Wheaties as my number three. And that was further proof that Brian can literally not do a top five list without making it about sports somehow. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Well, I was thinking, do you think one day that they'll put the, uh, the, Af- I mean, the, uh, the he's done it pod guys on a, the, like a Wheaties box? Maybe one day, you know, if we ever reach that level. No, maybe. <laughs> That'd be cool. It'll take a lot of more work. <laughs> uh so my my number two i went with special k i love special but the only thing i would say about that is that every time you see a special k ad on tv 
they never show a dude. <laughs> Am I the only dude that likes Special K? Is it only a female kind of cereal? I don't know. I, I wish they showed one dude eating eating the Special <laughs> K cereal. That's probably the one criticism I would have. I don't. Every I time don't I see know it, I'm if like, I've man, ever actually a... tried Special K before. Ne- there, I don't think there's ever. I've tried looking it up too. I've typed in Special <laughs> K ad or commercial. I look it up, and it's just oh, it's just always some middle aged mom eating on the couch and just eating the Special K. Like, why isn't there Brian's some like at two a.m. googling like, it... like m- like pictures of men eating Special K? There's none <laughs> on the internet. It's all women. He's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> we need equal representation in our uh in our cereal eating for sure i think you've brought up a good point here Brian. Uh, uh, oh my yeah absolutely so special k is my number two my number one which uh apparently is uh all of our number ones hey no spoilers uh, dude and it, <laughs> yeah, yeah oh oh well it's too late now uh i went with cheerios as my number one it's the perfect in my opinion whether it's honey nut or the regular kind, it's the perfect combination of taste and health. And uh, so I love Cheerios. I went with that as my number one. I like it. I think that's a great number one pick. And we'll see if it's also mine. Uh, (laughs) Oh, yeah. Spoiler alert. five (laughs) on my top five cereals list is Rice Krispies. Uh, The old-fashioned snap, crackle, and pop, uh, the three most important ingredients in Rice Krispies. I have a question for you guys. Do you guys ever eat Rice Krispies? Yes. Yes. Okay, did you sprinkle sugar on top of it? No, because whenever the only Rice Krispies I had were flavored. Oh, that didn't need. Okay, yeah. Because I I would always eat like the default ones, and I thought they were good enough. But then I uh, was over at my friend's house, and he like he had Rice Krispies, and then he like dumped a whole bunch of sugar on top, which makes the milk taste all sweet and delicious. And it was a yeah. game changer. I was like, oh, this is the only way I'm eating Rice Krispies. Yeah. So you yeah you you're like, wait, why am I eating cereals like boring Brian when I can eat? <laughs> I can have them super sugary and they're not good for me, but this is how cereal is meant to be eaten. I, I, I used to have cereal without milk when I was much younger. So to tell you how boring you I really eat it was out of the box cereal. You still pour I it literally in a just ate it. I, I would just pour in a bowl and I would, so yeah, whenever I don't have any milk in the, in the house uh, and I have, and I want to eat cereal, I still just pour it in the bowl <laughs> and I eat it. Like I prefer with milk now, but when I was a lot younger, yeah, I, I ate it without milk and, uh, there weren't many people that agree with that, uh, <laughs> with, with that use well, of I uh, cereal. I would never eat Rice Krispies without milk. And after my buddy Alex, I don't know if Alex listens to the podcast, but Alex, if you're listening, dude, thank you for showing me to put sugar on my Rice Krispies. And that is the only way I can eat them now. So I don't eat them that much anymore. Um, my number four is Reese's Puffs. And this one was almost just for the brand image, dude. Do you guys remember the commercials for Reese's Puffs? Okay, here's the thing. Oh, Reese's yeah. Puffs was like Captain Crunch for like the urban community based on the way they marketed it. It was like a like a kid is just like chilling about to have a bowl of cereal and he pours his Reese's Puffs and his like bowl of cereal turns into like a DJ stand. And they're like, Reese's Puffs, Reese's Puffs. So like a hip hop beat in the like peanut butter chocolate flavor like it's like a <laughs> <laughs> and honestly as a, like a kid watching cartoons on a Saturday morning I was like you know what okay Reese's Puffs and uh, not to mention they uh, Reese's are a delicious candy and they ended up making a delicious breakfast as well that definitely went even better with a little bit of milk so Reese's Puffs comes in at my number four spot. Number three, uh, we actually, I, I loved your your fun facts about Frosted Flakes 
Brian. Um, I also enjoyed Frosted Flakes. Uh, Tony the Tiger having they had that great or <laughs> they had that great slogan. They're great, which is uh, super memorable, especially when you're a little kid. Uh, so. I enjoyed a lot of Frosted Flakes. Frosted Flakes definitely got the axe quickly, though, when my mom realized how much sugar was in theirs. Went was in there, so they were a nice treat, but not something I had all the time. M- leading me to my number two, which is peanut butter Captain Crunch. And and let me just tell you guys, peanut butter Captain Crunch tastes like mornings before school. Like when I have a a, a bite of peanut butter Captain Captain Crunch with milk today, I can taste um, the fact that. I'm late and the bus is coming. Like I can taste the fact that my backpack weighs 40 pounds and I weigh 60 pounds. Like I can, I can taste, uh, you know, going to school and getting to go home at 2:15. Okay, those things are all inside the flavor of a bowl of peanut butter Captain Crunch. And also, I basically memorized the back of that box because that was back in the days where we didn't have screens in our pockets all the time. And I actually read the back of my cereal box. Did you guys do that too? Oh yeah, I love doing that. That was that was so much fun. Like looking at the back of the cereal boxes, doing all the little games. Yeah, like the the one on the back of the uh, Captain Crunch box, they had like a maze you could do, and there was like uh... the 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 maze is the only one I'm interested in. (laughs) Yeah, well, all the games. literally everything that was on the back of it i read and saw and solved or whatever so peanut butter crab and crunch a very special place in my heart uh definitely tastes like elementary school cheerios make their appearance my number one your prediction was right brian and i agree with your the versatility that cheerios have they're a guilt-free snack they're a tasty breakfast cereal uh you can have them with or without milk it can be delicious either way you can scoop them out of the bowl or you can have a handful straight out of the box either way you know that your cholesterol is nose diving as soon as you get a couple of those little guys in your mouth so it is it is the one thing that'll save me from having a high cholesterol when I'm in when I'm in my middle age. I just 40s remember that when I was whatever. a kid seeing those ads. They're like, "Did you know it's Cheerios lowers your cholesterol?" And I was like, "Well, I sure don't know what cholesterol is, but the Cheerios <laughs> is gonna send it straight down, buddy." And uh, on top of that, it's just a very versatile. It can be a snack. It can be a breakfast cereal. It's uh, it's pretty great. So I uh, Cheerios definitely, and they had good commercials. Do you guys remember when they had that um, Regina Spector uh, Fidelity commercial? Uh, well, you recognize the song, but it was like it's like her number one song she ever did, and it was she, they used it in a Cheerios ad, uh, which was the first time I heard it. So uh, Cheerios, deservedly my number one cereal. So I'll go through and wrap things up with my top five, and. Number five, I went with Cocoa Pebbles. There were a few cereals here that were Cocoa something that I was deciding between. I decided to give a shout out to the Flintstones with this one. But who doesn't love eating their bowl of cereal and then getting to drink up their milk and having it be chocolate milk? So that was always one of my my favorite things, whether it was Cocoa Pebbles, Cocoa Krispies, even Cocoa Puffs. Uh, I had to include one of those there because I was always a nice little treat after the first. Well, okay, wait, what was the commercials for those? Wasn't it like Fred Flintstone wanted to eat his cocoa pebbles and then Barney would like club him across the head and then steal his cocoa pebbles or something? Yeah, that sounds vaguely familiar. <laughs> Why are they so violent about breakfast cereals, dude? They're just so good. Like everyone wants them. <laughs> uh, so Barney! Number f- yeah. <laughs> 
Number four, I went with Honey Bunches of Oats, which is a, a little more on the healthy side. I particularly love the cinnamon clusters one, but just the regular honey roasted almonds are also great. I think they even had a chocolate one that I had from time to time, but that that, that was always one of my oh feel good. I'm I, more of an adult when I eat these uh, versus some of the the sugary ones I have, and I I think it was a very enjoyable bowl of cereal to start my morning before going to school. So number four, honey bunches of oats. Number three, cinnamon toast crunch. I think the commercials are a little strange in the way they basically promote cereal cannibalism. Is it? Is that? I, a, cor- correct me if I'm wrong. Is that the one where they just take the the small one, and then the big one yeah, shows it makes up? Yeah, a giant right? bite. Yeah. Yep. 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 <laughs> Yeah, uh, Cinnamon Toast Crunch has always been one of my favorite cereals uh, as a kid and one that I would continue to buy even through college and as an adult. So uh, that that is uh, certainly one of the more sugary cereals, but it is uh, one of my, my all-time favorites. Number two, I went with one that we had to go a full decade without, and that was Oreo O's. I remember eating them as a kid and absolutely loving them, and then all of a sudden they vanished. So apparently what happened was Oreo is owned by Nabisco. The cereal recipe is post and they used to be somewhat combined, but then in 2007 they separated and post wasn't willing to give up the recipe. Nabisco, they weren't willing to give up the Oreo trademark name. So that meant no more Oreo O's. But then in 2017, uh, I don't fully know how they were able to come back, but they were and that one is certainly not a healthy cereal at all, but it was one of my favorites. I love Oreos, and then when you can make Oreos breakfast, you, you can't go wrong. You mean Ore- You mean Oreo O's don't lower your cholesterol? <laughs> no, like no they do not lower your cholesterol. <laughs> that is for sure. Oh my god! Uh, well, do you guys remember Cookie Crisp? Or rather, oh or yeah, rather, Cookie. Oh cookie yeah, yeah. Crisp. This is a tough leave off mine. Yeah, Cookie Dude, Crisp. Yeah. Thinking about Cookie Crisp, I loved their pitch. It was. It looks like it's, It looks like cookies. Tastes like them too. But it's a tastes like cereal yeah. <laughs> because basically they're like it looks like cookies, it tastes like you too, but they're in a bowl. <laughs> <laughs> my my favorite one is still the one that Ben brought up. The oh Reese's yeah, dude, I'm definitely Reese's looking up that commercial. Yeah, we that get one's off, still the we get done There's with a lot of good cereal advertising <laughs> out there. But so my number one, you guys both went with Cheerios. Cheerios are a great cereal when you're an infant and your parents just pour something on you, your uh, little tray for you to snack on. But Cheerios, when you add flavors to it, that is when it really achieves its greatness. And to me, the number one cereal, not even a question, the greatest of all time, Honey Nut Cheerios. You get all the perks of Cheerios with that honey nut flavor that just makes it an enjoyable bowl of cereal. You don't have to load it up with all the the sugar that Ben puts on his Rice Krispies for it to taste good. Honey Nut Cheerios is always a cereal that that was my dad's go-to to buy for me because he's like, all right, I forgot to ask Corey what he wants for breakfast this week, but I know he likes Honey Nut Cheerios, so he would buy it. And there are times where I'd be like, oh, that's kind of boring, but it is such a great way to start your morning because you feel good eating it and it tastes good uh you could even throw in some of the others like frosted cheerios apple cinnamon cheerios but honey nut that's to me that's always a goat and they have a great mascot and buzz a bee so this one wasn't even a question for me when i instantly thought of top five cereals number one was always going to be honey nut cheerios yeah i stick with the boring like just the regular (laughs) plain 
plain cheers. I mean, I do eat the honey nut one sometimes, but I really just stick with the plain one. Uh, shows you how boring I am with cereal again. <laughs> Found that real quick, dude. You can't be. I, I'm switching my number one to Reese's Puffs because of their advertising. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Cheer, that, that 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 bee needs to up its uh, rapping game then, if it wants to go back. Well, okay, on and that's Ben's actually I have a kind of rebuttal to Corey's uh, number one because um, the 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 honey the bee from Honey Nut Cheerios takes way too much credit for why the honey why the Honey Nut Cheerios are so good. They're just yes, they are improving on a already proven product, but he likes to take all the credit. Dropping one little drop of honey, he's like, I did, I did it, I yeah. did it. No, he did it. Sorry, when I see him drip, drip the little honey on the on the uh, Cheerios, he's try he's trying to make a point. He's saying I'm improving these. All I'm thinking is, how is this going to affect my cholesterol? I can't. It's not going to hurt. Well, it. Some, sometimes they'll have the ads that don't show the B, and then they then they just talk about the healthy. Uh, oh, it lowers your cholesterol. And then sometimes when you see in the grocery store the the Cheerios boxes, they don't it doesn't show the B all the time. It just shows the the box with the the heart-shaped bowl and the and then the Cheerios inside of well, it. That's, yeah, that's the regular Cheerios. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> all right, all right. Let's let, let's stop talking about cereals now and let's wrap things up and get to our final takes for the episode. So, does anyone want to get us started? Yeah, I'll, I'll get us started. I just wanted to bring up. I mean. I guess it's not much of a take, really. It's just more of just like a statement. But like, I think that what Russell Westbrook did last night is one of the most legendary performances I've ever seen. To get his, if, if you don't know, uh, I guess at the time of recording, last night was Lakers at Thunder, and Russell Westbrook had a twenty twenty one and twenty game, uh, which has well a twenty 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 game has only been done once before. It was Wilt Chamberlain, right? Um, I'm pretty sure it was probably and that happened back in like the 60s. So nobody's done a 2020 since then. And Russell Westbrook did it on a night where he uh, was uh, um, it was kind of a shout out to Nipsey Hussle, a rapper who was taken before his time, a community advocate that uh, Russell Westbrook was actually friends with. There are pictures of Nipsey, Nipsey Hussle at Russell Westbrook's Why Not Foundation charity fundraiser from whenever. But uh he did. Uh, he had an amazing game. It was actually pretty poor shooting, to be honest. But the assists were out of this world. The rebounds are crazy. He definitely did pad his stats at the very end because uh, they're trying to sub him off, and he was like, "No, I'm staying on." And then he g- basically gave up a shot just so that for the chance of a rebound, and he got the rebound, and ev- the place went wild. He got the twenty twenty twenty, and I it was just it was history, uh, and I got to witness it. So I think that was pretty cool. So. Uh, Russell Westbrook's 2020 game will go down in history as an amazing performance. So for my final take, I don't know when our next episode will be, um, if it'll be next week or it'll be next uh, week. Two weeks we, later, we have that coming up. It'll, yeah, be next... it'll be next week. But okay, so um, I'll still give my early Masters take. Uh, I've already talked about it with Corey, but I haven't talked with Ben or anyone else. Uh, I like Ricky Fowler to win the Masters this year. I think it's his time to win a major for once. Uh, he's the best player on earth who hasn't won a major, in my opinion. And he has consistently played well at, at Augusta. He finished uh, 
probably, I think, top 10 two years ago, and he finished second last year, and his game is trending in the right direction. He won. He finished first at the Waste Management Open just a couple months ago, and I think even though he's not the best golfer on earth, I don't think, I think he has one of the most complete games on tour. He can drive the ball far and accurately, better than anybody, anyone. He does a good job hitting the greens, and and does a good job around the greens as well. And he and he can be uh, when his putter gets going, he can be as hot as anyone with the with the putter as well. So I think uh, it'll be Ricky's time to shine uh, at Augusta when within a couple weeks, and he'll be the one wearing the green jacket. All right, so I will go ahead and give my final take. And this Sunday, WrestleMania 35 from the Meadowlands, where the Jets and the Giants play, MetLife Stadium. And the main event, for the first time in the 35-year history, features all women. It is a triple threat match with Ronda Rousey, Charlotte Flair, and Becky Lynch. And I think that while Rousey has that that big name behind her uh, just from her UFC career and then Charlotte Flair having that Flair name of course Ric Flair those are two big names my understanding is that Becky Lynch is the most popular and therefore she will win the Raw and Smackdown women's championship titles by winning this triple threat match I'd say that we have made major progress when we can come together and cheer on as women inflict violence against each other. This is true progress, and I'm just as excited as you are. I actually follow Ronda Rousey on Instagram, and she's been hyping this up. It's pretty cool. It is 100% real violence as well. Nothing nothing fake about it. Yes, of course. Why would you ever even bring that up? Of course it's real. All right. So uh, Brian kind of jumped the gun on this one, but we will be recording another episode next week. We're not going to have a break like we did the the past few episodes, and we'll be talking our NBA playoffs preview. We'll also be talking the Masters, maybe a little bit of Stanley Cup playoffs, recap of the Final Four. A lot of exciting things, is especially the NBA playoffs. That was something that Ben and I love to talk about. Last year, we'll be we'll be doing our predictions and stuff. Uh, you'll be able to follow along with those in the same way we did with the NFL. So I gave my prediction for a winner, but I will, uh, for the next episode, I will give out uh, my other picks as well in terms of other other golfers I like and sleepers as well, who I think can also compete. That's good, because we're going to be counting on you to carry that golf segment. Right. So as a reminder, uh, like, subscribe rate review whatever you got to do on your podcast listening platform of choice and go ahead and give us a follow on our twitter account at he's done it pod we try to keep it fairly active and uh, there's a lot of exclusive content out there that we're we're promoting uh, throughout the the days after each new episode is released so that's just another way for you to interact with us outside of just listening to this podcast whenever we release a new one. So, for my co-hosts, Brian Wells and Benjamin Carlson, I'm Corinne Avani. 